Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Welcome back to The Futurist. This is our anniversary show. It's a very special show, and um, we I'm joining, joined by my co-hosts, the uh, wonderful and beautiful Katie King, Miss Metaverse. I'm glad to say that. Happy to be back. Um, and, Brian, and, of course, Brian Solis joining us in the hosting chair. Brian, thanks for, thanks for joining in. Yeah, you know, you could always add the adjective beautiful as well. Okay. <laughs> Hang on. Yes, there you go. Yes. <laughs> All right. But um, what we're really here to hear of is is two guests um, who have been on our collective shows now over the space of seven or eight years, depending on how you sort of measure it. And uh, the best shows in the past on Breaking Banks in particular, um, you know, the the podcast is now 10 years old, um, have been often with these two gentlemen and they just riff off each other um, tremendously. So that's why we wanted to have them on together. And that is the uh, irascible Robert Scoble and the uh, immutable Brian Romley. (laughs) Welcome to the show, gents. Wonderful to be here. It's awesome to be here, and it's awesome to talk to Brian again. It's been a while. It's been it too has long. Been a while. We have a lot to yeah. talk about. <laughs> All right, yeah. so here's here's a bit of a test for you guys. Um, you know, see how good your memory is. Um, do you remember the first time you appeared on the podcast? Uh, no, I've been it's on a of podcasts. <laughs> it's a blur. <laughs> so, Robert, you you first appeared August twenty fourth, twenty fifteen on Breaking Banks. And Brian, you first appeared March 18, 2016. Wow. Robert, your first show was on artificial intelligence, particularly Siri. And uh, Brian, your first show was on voice um, voice interface, voice AI. Wow. Very so, cool. Um, Which they and, didn't show the new Siri uh, this week. They kept that no. muted and out of public view. <laughs> It's, well, you know, it, it like it's obviously going to be an important part of um, the the strategy for Vision Pro as well, um, which we want to get into. Um, yeah. Of course, uh, that's the big announcement that's happened this week, um, and uh, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about it. Um, but um, in, I thought in the all big honesty, announcement was how many LLMs does Brian have running in his garage? Ooh. Exactly. Now I have to keep that dark. I have to keep that dark. But um, I was walking around with uh, with a Unity employee. He's like, "Oh, we need a LLM for every voxel around you." Oh my god! You're going to soon have billions of voxels, volumetric pixels around you in this headset. For it, man. You know, well, you could use DNA, right? But um, anyway, we're we're going to get sidetracked very quickly here. I do, easily. <laughs> I do think that, um, you know, like it feels like, particularly for you, Robert, but also, you know, we've had many conversations about the smart glasses stuff over the years on the show. 
Um, but Robert, it's like you've been waiting eight years for this moment, right? Well, when did you first start publishing on the spatial um, stuff? That it, was with. Um, I, I interviewed Matteo CTO in the, in their headquarters in Germany, and they showed me monsters on the sides of skyscrapers. That's an augmented reality company that Apple bought. That sort of uh, the the CTO uh, really set up this strategy uh, with their with the Apple team. And so, yeah that that was uh, 2009. Yeah. Well, well, it's a it's been a while. A while ago. It's yeah, been a while, you know, people have been dreaming about augmented reality for a long time. And finally, Apple gets into the market with a pretty nice product. I mean, um, when we look at sort of the evolution of this tech in particular, Apple appears like they they had to invent a number of technologies to get yeah. um, where they got to with this unit. In fact, I was saying, uh, you know, in a chat with someone on Facebook that, there's probably only two companies in the world that could have done this. And I think it's Huawei and, and Apple. I mean, I, I debate that with you guys. This, you know, I don't think Oculus could do this, for example, because no. it's, no, no, it's not really possible. pushing the boundary on hardware. Brian, what do you they think? They don't have the ecosystem. I yeah. mean, Brian and I'll talk for an hour just about ultra wideband radios that are in all the oh, devices, yeah. you know? You know, and it, it's, it's the ecosystem, like Robert said, but it's also... Uh, the depth of their ability to engineer to a uh, craftsman level. I mean, there yeah. there's so much that was uh, under the uh, undercover that went into this and why it took so long. Uh, yeah. Some of it was just really kind of getting caught up with getting the resolution to the level that it's acceptable to be sort of passing through in a mixed reality setting, that was a really tough thing for Apple. Uh, Robert and I used to always talk about battery technology, heating, the heating problem, uh, having that much uh, display that close to your eyes, and what's the heat profile going to be like? And Apple did an incredible job. Uh, they didn't carry the battery in the device. That was a big problem with engineering for quite a number of years. They were debating the perfect device does not have an external cord, right? right? I mean, that's the dream. And it was a, a tremendous amount of debate on whether or not Apple will run with a device that has a tethered power supply. And they made the right choice because battery technology is much slower than uh, Moore's law. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I imagine they probably could have put it in the headband or something, you know, a shape battery. But even then, you know, you're going to compromise on uh, comfort and, and weight and so forth, right? The, but, the heating of the battery also during right. charging and discharging. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Apple was profoundly interested in weight and weight balance. This was a really big thing because all prior sets that had any reasonable amount of electronics you literally had a forward tilt to your head after a while because yeah. it, it, it's yeah. quite quite heavy, heavy some of these devices yeah. Yeah. well um on that note um you know you, brian you, you have actually tried the vision pro so tell us how it wore you know how did it feel on your head you know what what were the uh, you know get into that experience how long did you have uh with, with the units to play with a, a very fast 45 minutes, um, wow. but most of it was unfortunately talking about it 
and not really getting to use it. So it it, it flew by very, very rapidly. And Brian, I, Brian, real quick, before you jump into that, how many of those minutes were personalizing it for your experience? Because I understand that it, every headset has to be customized for the user. That's very, uh, very uh, uh, accurate. So that was really the the crux of the issue. Well, first was the wow moment, right? I said, just let me look at it and and try to get a feel for the build quality and uh, some of the parts that went into it, the machining. And uh, then it was the fitting. You know, there's a lot of adjustments that you can make. I didn't care to go to the fine tuning adjustments because I just really wanted to jump in. Like any of us would have been. It's like, come on, let's let's just try it out. And um, so once you're once you're in the device and it's reasonably adjusted, which is what mine was, it is quite phenomenal. It, it the, the the very entry point into it you kind of just getting your your way about you especially the the dimensionality of the user interface the user interface is three-dimensional in a way that i can't really quite explain i don't think flat pictures or video kind of demonstrates it because the movement of your head allows you to kind of see around and above the uh, user interface. So let's imagine a typical icon, say the uh, Safari icon. It pops out almost what feels like three to seven inches, according to how your head is uh, positioned, from the, the the backing of the icon. And these little things like that are not only interesting, but they allow you to be able to focus on what you're trying to actuate. And that was the really big first adjustment is that your eyes are really controlling the interface in a way that you, you, it's, it's, I got to say, it's magical. You would actually, once you got used to doing things this way, this is what's going to happen to all of us. We're going to stare at screens and we're going to wish that we can just do the things that we were doing in in this sort of um visual visual os world that apple's created and that that's yeah. gonna that alone is going to be addictive the other thing that i noticed rather rapidly is that you attune to the environment that apple presents to you i would say with me it, it took about 10 minutes to fully attune to it there is some adjustments to get used to between when you're going into what i would call real OS, your life, and then visual OS inside the system and, and the interplay between the two. Um, I already imagined thousands of ideas in my mind of how not just games, but different apps would be adjusted uh, to this type of environment. I mean, mapping, for example, and getting around town and touring, uh, just uh, it, it's phenomenal. Well, that's... It's that's one thing that we didn't actually see is we didn't see the work that they've done on the OS for out in the wild. You know, this is for yeah. now, it was shown as limited to sort of a household environment, or you can imagine in a working environment in sort of a limited space rather than walk. You're not going to walk around with these things on out in the public. You might sit in a plane or on a train. They don't want but, it that way yet. That's right, that's but, the big thing. Right. Uh, Rob, Robert and I are, and you guys, we're going to go walking around with this stuff, right? And we're nerds. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, um, 
I alluded to before this show uh, how Robert's probably going to get a picture going. But, uh, you know, the bottom line <laughs> is <laughs> the bottom line is once you start realizing the power of this system, you're not going to restrict people from using it in the wild, no matter what the embarrassment or uncool or nerd, yeah. uh, whatever level that it uh, it performs under. Now, is it dangerous? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think there's probably a lot of things you're going to need to do to make these things uh, uh, less dangerous. But just like Tesla or anything else, you're going to have sort of navigation built around you. It's already in the system. I mean, the mapping technology, and Robert can speak to this also because he's he's right on this technology. The mapping technology is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And I don't think most people realize that when you put this device on, and, and what I mean by most people, most people writing about it that have tested it, when you put these things on, they're mapping the room that you're in in a very rapid fashion and yeah. it stores that map like 20 millisecond kind of rapid there's no map. lag right well th there's no lag but once the map is in place it, it's it's phenomenal what it can do to that environment and yeah, and, right. and how it works within that environment and, and when we say map we're not talking about a blue line on a uh, on a on the floor we're talking about a 3d environment of your reality Absolutely. Right. Digital you can, twin you can actually very... like record memories, right? Well, yes. tell me about this digital twin of the real world, because that's that's the real big differentiator from uh, Zuckerberg's devices. You know, if you play with an Oculus Quest uh, Pro, they do mix reality in that headset, and it's, it's pretty right. good. But it the reality is blurry, watery, has right. seams in it, um, doesn't right. have rich yeah. color, doesn't have a lot of detail to it, and is not segmented, so you can't uh, you know interact with it. Tell me about the reality that you see when 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 you just fire this thing up and you're looking around. What is what is the room around you look like? Oh man, Robert, it's disconcerting. What happens is it's disbelief and. Obviously, if you really, really try to look, you can you can detect that you're you're in the the, the bubble, right? Uh, as I would put it, but it's disconcerting because it is so close. It, it it's making you second guess, and after after that initial uncanny valley sort of feel, you know, it's very slight. You kind of get used to it, and then all of a sudden, it you accept it as what you're seeing and then once you start getting the hovering of the user interface and particularly after you watch like a short video i think the the really remarkable thing it's not so much web browsing which i really love the web browser i i just i i, I for some reason it really struck me as a lot of fun um but once you see a video for a couple of minutes and then you kind of come back to you know the the digital twin your world looks, you know, three times better. I don't know why that is. It just helps you adapt uh, more rapidly. And at that Maybe point- Maybe you did a few more scans while you were watching a video too and I, filled in a few holes here and there. I could imagine it. I, I could imagine it did because at some point you feel like the environment is richer. And I, I really wish I had a chance to visit another room, uh, maybe- uh, I, I wanted to see what it looked like in the outside world. I mean, I really was itching just to stand outside with it and and see sky trees and yeah. things like that. How, how does it render? What does it what does it do? Uh, but the thing that I find really fascinating is 
once you get used to the interface, you probably accept that as your reality um, for at least at, at least until something upsets it. You know, there are different things that are, are sort of cumbersome, sometimes a way um, things move. But we're past I, the uncanny valley, right? We're, oh, we're actually actually into the point where it's convincing. I I would say in, in my limited interaction with it, I would not be sitting there scratching my head like uh, we have with uh, Oculus and other systems right. that have never really been released. I've tried. Uh, that that try too hard to stitch together something that really doesn't work. Uh, like Robert and I used to always talk about is the sensor technology in this device is where we're getting most of the, the benefit. And Apple just went over the top in sensors. How many cameras are on this device? I think it's nine cameras. Um, and how uh, many microphones? Six. It could be. There's yeah, 12 so. cameras. 12, uh, 12 cameras. cameras. Well, yeah. yeah, the camera's yeah, looking uh, at your eyes, looking inside. You your talk ears, about looking at the. Can you talk about some of the sensors that they've got in this thing? You know, mainly through the acquisitions that you've you've seen over the years. Oh yeah, I mean, so we're obviously all the sensors that we find in an in, in iOS device is there, uh, but we're also uh, like Robert just alluded to the IR um, scanning uh, system that is tracking your eyes primarily your iris uh is really in interesting and cutting edge technology uh it's it's your gaze and your attention and the way your iris will expand or contract uh as you're looking at something this is this is interesting technology and anybody listening it should be rightly so creeped out but let me put a caveat on this your your reality is that your eyes give away your attention before you even know it. Uh, there's something called The User Illusion by Tor Standards. It's a book from the 90s. I recommend anybody reading it. Uh, I read it once a year, minimally. And there is a half-second delay between your conscious mind knowing what you're actually doing, meaning your subconscious mind is controlling your conscious mind and your conscious mind is convinced that it had authority and agency to make the choice. We know that your eye gaze is already making some determination on what you want to do before you mentally actually know you're doing it. And now we have a technology that's reading your eye gaze and your attention before you know it. And so this is Apple, real important because if there's a loud sound over to the right of you, right? Your mind gets, your attention changes from, let's say, straight in front of you to to the right. Your eyes are already, already moving before you even figure out there was a, new, a noise. And the computer can see that your eyes are about to, to move over to the right and predict where they're going to land and unpack the neural radiance field that's around you uh, in that area. Uh, this is called foveated rendering, where it's Absolutely. unpacking the data foveated where you're rendering. actually going to look, right? Because the, the screen that you're uh, viewing, let's call it a 12K wraparound screen, is not 12K end-to-end. -end. It's only 12K where you're looking, and it fakes you into thinking the screen is a full-on 12K screen end-to-end. -end. 
right? And that way the computer can keep up with you and drive this very high resolution screen um, without, you know, burning up your head. Yeah. And, and what's vital, yeah, but- to, well, let me just finish at one point on this. What's vital to understand is Apple at this point is moving that data into a sort of secure enclave. Secure enclave, yeah. Yeah. So the reason this is important is advertisers are not going to get your gaze data right. and start marketing. And this is vital because, uh, you know, I trust Apple with this. Uh, if they, you know, go into the box of mistrust, then, you know, all bets are off. But that we data call is- it pure O2. We estimate you can fill 80% of the available real estate before inducing seizures. You remember that out of. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so, uh, so quick question though, what is the actual experience like using, yes, there's the eye control, but it's also gesture control as well, yeah, right? Yeah, tell us about the control. Yeah, so you you don't believe it at first, right? Because, um, how, how can I put it? Uh, the fine movement of your fingers is uh, is read so well that you don't really quite believe it's that easy. Um, we're so used to, and, and it's tracking you, your fingers everywhere. I mean, when, when you oh, yeah. were using this HoloLens, the finger track tracking only works right in front of you because the sensors only have a, a box in front of you. And if you go outside of that box, you, you can't control it. This is one reason Apple put so many cameras on the device so that they could always be seeing your fingers, no matter where you, where your fingers are in 3d space. And what's phenomenal that the tracking is so accurate, right? You think about right. the billions of things it's really tracking and somehow it finds the fine, you know, rubbing your uh, thumb and first finger together as as uh, you know, the little pincher. Yeah, and crazy. Yeah, and, and the fact that it picks it up, you... So here's here's the thing that I think is going to take a while for people to adjust. Most of us who grew up on the original click pads on uh, on laptops right. uh you can tell older people they tend to pound harder on the original click pads and and, and buttons and when it became virtual or essentially a, a form of glass you still can't believe that you don't have to hit so hard and a really light touch and a younger person barely touches it and they they're kind of used to it well that's the same thing that's going to happen with this interface is that you're going to make a lot more overt ridiculous sort of hand gestures and then you realize after a while you can be so nuanced and almost like nobody can see it you can like be subtle yeah yeah like i don't know what it's called i'll call it the shove forward and backward routine uh <laughs> that's the official <laughs> apple designation um that doesn't require you can do it in, right. a, in a way that almost nobody can even notice that you're doing it and uh <laughs> Uh, there, there are a lot of other gestures that I don't think Apple has talked about, and I don't know if they are quite part of the system. But uh, there's a lot of different nuanced uh, gestures that I think are going to come out. And Brian, Brian, can I just? Uh, I, I know we have a few minutes before the break, but can you describe the elegance and the simplicity of a couple of movements, like because they reminded me of. The gestures that were introduced with the iPad, yeah, the like cause and effect. So, yeah, you you talked about the push and the pull, but can you describe how that inter interacts with the interface? So, if you have a screen uh, that let's, and it's hard to tell distance. If you have a screen that's say three feet away from you, 
and you're, you know, you're wanting to just examine it a little more closely, you sort of just kind of pull on it and, and it, it highlights and it, it just comes towards you. Um, and you're not so much doing a pull as you're just kind of gesturing towards it to come. You're beckoning the screen towards you kind right. of. And, you know, I didn't really have training on the UI uh, on purpose. No, yeah. I mean, I was told nothing. This Try it. Uh, I was fish into new water. And I, I I picked it up pretty quickly. I mean, I I got a little bit of guidance. I'm like, how did I do that? You know, and it's like how would you want to do it? You know, that was, those kind of, I was like a Rogerian uh, psychologist sitting next to me, helping me with the interface kind of, but <laughs> what happened was um, you start just intuiting. How would you do that? What would you do in the real world? And a lot of those things just wind up translating, but the things that are different is that you don't have to nuance. Uh, you don't have to overtly do it. You can nuance. And, and I think that's, that's the magic Apple brings to this. Well, is this that- is, you know, this is the first uh, he- headset or head-mounted display, head-mounted computer, whatever you want to call it, smart glasses, that that doesn't need a separate controller that you can control with gesture movement. I mean, that's a that's a big deal in itself. Although you can hook up uh, a gamepad and stuff like that to play games, right? Or a keyboard or, or a keyboard. Or- Possibly even use your phone for a controller because this has a lot of sense. Well, what's interesting is you can actually look at your computer and the computer screen will pop in front of you and and it'll become a widescreen and you can use your computer keyboard on your laptop instantly. So there's no connecting. It's just like there. But here's what my thing is about game controllers. You're going to give them up. You are absolutely... Once you're in this environment, you're not going to want really... To, it's going to be like old fashioned. It's like, you know, winding up your car to start yeah. it up, yeah. you know? So I think yeah. game controllers are on their way out at some point. Well, look at the the meta quest, right? It's uh, our daughter broke one of the remotes on it and you can't even find replacement remotes. You, it, it doesn't matter if it's just one or both of them, you know, they're hard to find. They break easily. So, you know, I mean, especially I when she throws them it. across the room. Especially when they get thrown across the room. Yeah, exactly. Rage quit. Boom, against the wall. You know, the thing about it is Apple had such debates. I would talk to engineers about putting rings and bracelets and all these different tracking systems. And thankfully, those things got voted down. There were so many patents and I would share them with Robert. I'd put them up on Twitter and stuff. And I'm like, a lot of it was like, check out this patent. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, God, don't let Apple do the ring thing. Don't let them do these little controllers. They're ridiculous. It's so on. Yeah, see? The ring. Uh, Robert's showing us <laughs> like his ring. ring. It's the new surveillance device, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that's, see, that's the precipice where Apple crosses. But that's the, this is, I mean, this is what a lot of people miss about this. It's not just about spatial computing in terms of the interface. I mean, if you look at the last 60 years of computing. Yeah. We've seen two overall trends. One is that computers get more powerful and cheaper, Muslim. But the second is that the 
ability to control those computers also gets dramatically simpler over time. So we started having to use punch cards, right? And then it was green screens, then it was 16 colors, you know, then, you know, and, and uh, then we got to multi-touch, but you know, the best computer you can have is one that is just with you all the time that is naturally controlled by your body and your senses. Right. Um, so, um, you know, and, and the only way we can improve on that essentially is brain control interfaces, you know, and we'll get there eventually. But this this has always been the path we've been on to get sort of computing that is just ubiquitous around us and reacts to us in sort of natural ways. I'm convinced they have a prototype for every year until we get to bring computer interfaces. Let's call Absolutely. that 15 years from now. I bet they have a plan for every year what they're going to introduce. Certainly the first five years leading into glasses, right? Because this product really is is almost a prototype for the right. glasses. It's to get us used to augmented reality. It's get us uh, used to building for augmented reality so that there's a lot of things to do when the glasses come because the glasses are the real mainstream event that's when everybody in your world is going to start using right so when you're talking about glasses you're talking about augmented spectacles essentially yeah lightweight right so it's not going to be like today you know uh, the vision pro actually has screen so you can't that when you're seeing through it you're getting the camera's image projected onto these screens, yes. but we're talking about glasses where the 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 um, data is projected into your field of view using lasers or some other mechanisms like that, right? Yes. Uh, think about it, this first product. You're. It's not going to be good at a job that's dangerous. Like uh, if you right. work at uh, on the Tesla factory uh, next next to the stamping machine, and there's a <laughs> Six ton stamping machine next to your hands. No, you don't You're want not to risk a power device. out from your screens. You, and you don't want to see your hand be biking. In VR. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. not going to wear this while moving fast, running, mountain biking, right? Uh, skiing. No, no. This is a device mostly for sitting on your couch and watching a movie with a little bit of lightweight walking around, going to the bathroom, going to the kitchen while wearing this device, but not a whole lot of moving around and not a whole lot of moving around quickly, right? Yeah. All right, well, that's a good point for us to have a quick break. And uh, after the break, um, Robert, let's get into, you know, how it's been, um, um, you know, picked up by uh, um, the tech press and so forth and what the overall impression has been on this. And um, Nobody said the screens suck. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> said, oh, my God, those things. Are, you get a big, beautiful screen in front of you, right? Everybody's like, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into that after the break. You're listening to The Futurist. We'll be right back with Brian uh, Romley and Robert Scoble after this break. This show is brought to you by Alloy Labs. As much as we love talking on the show, we believe that action is more valuable than talk. Alloy Labs is the industry leader in helping fearless bankers drive exponential growth through collaboration, exclusive partnerships, and powerful network effects that give them an unfair advantage. Learn more at AlloyLabs.com. Alloy Labs, banking unbound. Welcome back to the Futurist. We are talking about Apple's new Vision Pro mixed reality headset. We have with us Robert Scoble and Brian Romley. And 
to bring us right back, I'm going to just throw out a quick question. I know we want to talk about the press and the media's reaction, but Brian, you had the unique opportunity to wear this thing for 45 minutes. And I would love to just quickly have you describe for us that crown experience, because I I didn't know I was ready for that that feature and its brilliance. And then last but not least, please put that chef's kiss on it about the hologram of what people see who look at you while wearing this. Wow. Great questions, Brian. Um, the, um, the digital crown, I guess, uh, very similar to the watch. It's something that I predicted, geez, uh, probably four years ago when I started digging into Apple patents because it started coming up everywhere. And um, I remember getting in debates, a lot of, you know, Apple, um, Apple pundits, you know, they would go after Robert and I all about this stuff that we're wrong. We don't know what we're talking about. It's not going to be this. That's and that, that crown, I really was convinced was going to show up somewhere. I was hoping it wasn't on a device like you had a hold to control this. It just felt wrong. And um, when you turn it, 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 it's actually more well jeweled, more well uh, feeling wise uh, to touch than you would have on on the watch or anything like that. It it, it you have um uh I guess haptic feedback while you're turning it. At least I did. Um uh it had a, a number of unique use cases. I did not even have the chance to explore all of it. But you could do basically anything with it. You can, you know, sort of do a zoom if you will on some apps. But I think that was a well-designed Apple feature. And um, it's also an avert notice to people, uh, you know, around you that you're kind of doing things. Uh, I I think there's a lot of what I would call social contract issues that we're always going to have to deal with with new technology. It's like, where where is somebody going to be using this? How are they going to be using it? How do you know they're using it? And I can't express enough how important what Apple did with just the visual of eyes. And that segues to what you were saying about the virtual version of you. Vitally important that you are able to create eye contact, real simulate. It doesn't matter. It, it It's so vital. Um, if we don't have this eye contact, we are running into such a disconnect in a social setting. And it also lead to injuries, by the way. And this is Apple's advantage. They can come in late and learn from all the mistakes that have been made by, you know, Microsoft with HoloLens and Oculus with the Quest and and all that. One of them was my dad got hurt while uh, my kid was playing VR because my my son was inside the Uh environment you know, swinging his arms. And my dad didn't realize that he was stepping into the play space, Uh right? He didn't understand what the person who was wearing the VR headset was doing. And actually, these kinds of eyes, you would know that, you know, the, the eyes are swinging over to the left real fast. That means somebody's about to you know, hit a baseball or something like that in a virtual environment. And so it's much safer that way. Plus, uh, if you're wearing the device, uh, Brian, tell me what happens if somebody walks into your play space. Let's say you're completely immersed in something that, like a VR uh, experience and somebody's walking into your play space. It uncloaks them a little bit as they walk toward you. They they become 
clear that the, you know there's somebody in the real world coming toward you and so it sort of uh stops the environment and and shows you that person which is oh, real key that's a great question uh robert so basically here's i didn't get to do very much gaming i was just really all about trying to dive into the ui but i can tell you that when when you're in a where something is being occulted by you know you have a screen and then somebody might walk past it the the system is so responsive and so reactive that it it's detecting it on your far peripheral before your eyes would see it so this is an important thing about the, the visual window that this device has is past what your normal visual window on a peripheral of your vision is all around you. So you, so you feel, have, it, it, you don't feel like you're reaching a, a screen limitation, right? You, no. you know, wherever you can look, you'll, you will be able to see. You actually tilt your head because you can't believe that it, it doesn't find the end. You know, it, it's sort of an infinity, uh, at least in my testing. I, I, I almost believe it has to, but the simulation of that screen, like Robert said, it just keeps building that screen based upon where is your eye? Where's your eye tracking? And it's building that part of what your uh, eye is looking at. And, and so it, because the cameras can go past where your eyes are seeing, it's it, you know that it sees what you don't see. And yeah, so it's I, looking I over looking behind I, your head. <laughs> I do have a question, Robert. Um, you know, you, you tweeted out on the day that it was everything you hoped for and more. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you've been watching this for years. You both have, you know, we all have, right. We've been watching this development of this for years, but let me ask you this question. Um, is there anything that they didn't have or they didn't execute on that you were surprised about or something you would have liked to have seen? Oh, they didn't show a lot of things, <laughs> right? There's a, there's a second keynote still to go when when this is getting close to being in stores. Okay. Uh, and they're going to show off a lot more uh, of the stuff. For instance, this is a very powerful camera technology, and they barely showed that. They, they showed a, a very muted capture of a, of a father with a child. They didn't show right. off a lot of you know, really amazing camera technology that would uh, track the child or do anything like that. That's coming in oh. the future sometime. But in the future, because you know, the technology here is an array camera that I mean, there's several cameras capturing your your surroundings and can do it in a way that can build a neural radiance field, a 3D scene. It's really going to be amazing for photographers to play with. And this leads into what the purpose of this thing is, which is an experienced delivery vehicle, right? If I'm trying to deliver a concert to people's homes, right? Um, do we want that on a 2D piece of glass, you know, a TV with a 2D sound system? No, we want it to be like you're in the front row. Well, can we put somebody in the front row wearing one of these reality pros capture it or stream it to everybody else who's watching at home. Right. So you what could a, watch a NBA, um, you know, a basketball match live from the 
the uh, free throw line or something, you know? Actually, they're, they're doing a big thing with uh, Disney and ESPN, so yeah. uh, with the Vision Pro, so that you'll be able to, to do just and that. And they just they made a deal to get Messi into the Miami soccer team, right? Absolutely. So they're going to do a, a, a bunch of deals like this. One of the advantages, and there's a lot of magic of VR, of immersive technology like this, right? Uh, one of them is you can embody yourself in somebody else's headset. Yeah. So I can go into Brian's kitchen and watch him make dinner, right? From his perspective, I'm actually inside of his head. Someday, if we get a humanoid robot, we're actually going to be able to use a device like this to embody ourselves in a robot and control a robot remotely. We might even make dinner while we're sitting on the beach, you know, something like that, right? Yeah. You, you know, and, and Robert brings up a good point. And from the very basic, and that that advanced outlook is, is phenomenal. We're definitely going there. But from the basic low-hanging fruit on the tree, 3D photography from these devices are absolutely a game changer. Apple just touched upon it, but I believe that we're seeing the rise of a new genre of uh, dimensional photography that uh, is going to be taken by these things. And yeah. and by the way, uh, in sports, just to let you know, somebody can wear a headset that essentially has all the camera sensors. Right. To record that screen, without having the screens. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And yeah. you can have a whole team. Yeah, that's a... That's a good Jumping point. from one player to another player to a car driver to wow. uh, somebody hitting the ball to the catcher. Can Did you, you guys ever see that? Remember that movie? It must have been in the 80s, Brainstorm or something, where they used to be able to record <laughs> yes. memories. Brian, yes. do you remember yeah. that? Natalie Wood. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, that's essentially where we're at. It is. You know? we're, we're right there. This stuff. It's a great movie. <laughs> Yeah, the Instant 360 camera company came to my house. The founders of that company came to my house and talked about how AI is inside the camera uh, using computer vision to see features in the world around you. And then the camera readjusts the ball of pixels in real time. So if you're shaking the camera, the horizon is always locked on solid, wow. right? Nice. And this kind of this device has that kind of capability and way more because they have way more uh, computer vision to to use on this device than the Insta360 camera. Well, the other thing, the other thing is that with the Unity partnership, um, you know, we've seen Unity and Nvidia, um, you know, uh, demonstrate using yeah. ChatGPT to have um, AIs in game that will have a um, creative conversation with you within certain bounds. So now you're going to have generative AI. Yeah. In a virtual world with generative characters, you know, like it just in in a perfect three D space, it sort of blows my mind. This stuff they didn't show that either. <laughs> they didn't <Yeah>. show virtual <laughs> beings. They didn't, they show, didn't show you doing theory. virtual meetings with people. You know, like the uh, like the smart glasses in um, what is it? The uh, with uh, yeah. Anyway, it, if you if we all got hired by Apple and. It's our first week at Apple as executives. They do a whole bunch of onboarding training, one of which is a, a class on the Apple way. And the first thing they teach you is understand the customer journey, understand where customers are when you're trying to take them through a paradigm shift, because that's what Apple's doing right now. They're taking a yeah. step-by-step through a paradigm shift into 3D computing. So right? I, I, I want to I dive a little bit into that, Robert. So, um, you know, one of the things that um, 
Yeah, and Brian, um, please feel free to jump in based on your experience with the the demo unit. But one of the things that is fairly clear is that apps in this space won't work like apps on your phone. And the ability to have, um, you know, these these uh, applets or widgets or whatever you want to call them, these small chunks of contextual uh, functionality and interface pop up in the real world. We haven't even really seen the start of that either, right? Yeah. Um, but there is a new paradigm in in sort of this contextual software coming. Brian, did you start to, start to get the feeling that there's a framework for for that or is it still sort of like iPad apps adapted for this thing at the moment? I believe there's a framework, and I think that framework is open to imagination. I think the basic developer spent a lot of time looking at the developer UI uh, UIs and uh, and developer um, uh, ways to build around what Apple is creating. And I think, like Robert said, a lot of this has not even been shown. This is this is like. This is beyond just having training wheels. This is yeah. just like they didn't want to overdo and over uh, expose and overload your uh, ability to comprehend what's going on. It's really a three-year process of baby steps. And meanwhile, Moore's Law, we're going to see that double chip that that is out there is now going to be a, a six chips in one. That's the next step. Once we get to that level of compute power, you're going to have NPCs that talk to you in a generative type of way. Uh, you're going to have, uh, you can create. So imagine if you create one or two personal assistants that are embodied in a three-dimensional space that is basically chat GPT, auto GPT, going out and doing things for you in that right. world. I mean, this is the thing is we're going to have agency built into this as well, right? Yeah. And the diary is a good example. And a lot of people just chuckled off on that. Context is so valuable. And Apple needs to create a social contract with you to have your context embodied in a secured environment. Um, what I call the intelligence amplifier and your wisdom keeper is based on having as much context uh, about you as possible, but in a way that it's not in the cloud. You can't give away that much data and float it in the cloud. Right. It must be hyper-local. Apple is starting that with this sort of journaling uh, system. And they it, must it, have storage on the on the Vision Pro unit. Do, do, did they talk about the storage capacity? Uh, nobody's really talking about Or is it cloud-based? Well, there is, there is some of that, but nobody's really talking about that type of, just like they don't really talk about how memory is being used in iOS devices, especially first couple of years. Um, but the idea of a journal and the idea that AI is going to start piecing this together for you, all your pictures, all your video, all your interactions, right. and then to be able to have a conversation with it and say, you know, what was I doing that day? And you see this flashback Generally, or, or what, when right when was that when when was it that um, my daughter did this and describing the situation and it'll find the memory visually for you? So that this is sort of wild, man. That yeah, is and, a and, movie that we talked and, and about. And get earlier. this: your daughter pops up at four years old and says, "Hi, Daddy." And right there, she's twenty-five right now, and there she is, four years old. Hi, Daddy. I made this picture for you, and it's a three-dimensional, realistic image of yeah. her. 
And, and, and like I said, th- there's a lot that we can unpack here. There's another side to this. I don't want to bring anybody down, but there's a lot of negativity that we need to all deal with about what this all means to us psychologically, yeah, yeah. emotionally, and societal-wise. Uh, having memories like that so profound is Well, memories, is I mean, we've, we've shown this, you know, there's so much proof about this, but memories just generally aren't very accurate. You know, our memories are... A flaw. This is why when you when you get six people that witness a crime, they see six completely different things. You know, we're uh, idealized and are optimized, whereas raw reality memories uh, have have a different flavor and effect. But the thing about it is, our AI can actually construct our memories in the way that we most like to remember them. And uh, so there's going to be that warping Uh of reality, also. So that we do that already, though. You know, we do. Yeah, this is different though. When you're in a 360 video that you've captured on a 360 right. camera, you can relive the entire memory yeah. behind you, in front of you, to the right of you. I mean, I took a 360 camera to Coachella, and you can look down and see everybody in the whole building dancing, right? And and you can even see a little drug deal going on. Captured for all time. <laughs> but, but, yes. but, you know, and and what was that? What was like five years ago, six years ago, Robert? Seven I mean, or eight. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Nine. imagine where technology is now and that immersive space, everything at some point, I'm not saying this is, you know, uh, Vision Pro right now, but at some point, every one of your memories can be re- reconstructed for you in a way that is relatively instantly available. And this I will help you in your old age. If you're getting absolutely d- dementia, I, uh, Irene and I interviewed a lot of people doing mental health work, uh, research with VR, right? And Skip Rizzo down at USC has been doing a lot of this kind of work with uh, uh, people who are suffering PTSD, the veterans and stuff like that, and people who have dementia. And if you're getting dementia, you're getting older and your mind is starting to fail, um, reminding people of who they were gets their mind to reconnect a little bit and stay a little bit more present than they would have otherwise. And a little bit, and I'm much happier. So you do want to record as much as you can when you can with this kind of device. Let me give you one more. You can relive your, your past in, in this headset in the future when you're getting brain problems like dementia. Let me give you one more iteration of that. And Robert is right on. Uh, you will insert yourself into the memory because the AI will have a a perspective that you had when it existed and have the embodiment of what you look like at that point in time. And you can actually see yourself in your memory as a movie. This is not only profoundly important for memory and, and things like that, it could potentially be used in a positive way I won't really dwell in this show a negative negativity, but it can be used in a positive way for mental health because a lot of times mental health breakdowns come from a, a, a breakdown of your own perspective. You don't see yourself in the right view. A lot of it is negative self-talk, negative break. You know, we all know this, but it's hard when you're in the midst of that to be able to break out of it. And AI can literally here's the here's Here's the thing. Do you guys remember Minority Report? I know you do. (laughs) You remember the scene where Tom Cruise is watching a memory of his son, you know, and he's repeating the lines that his son's saying and stuff like that. And that was said in 2054. 
And we looked at that as like so sci-fi. And this is literally able to do that right now. You can do it yeah. right now. Pretty insane. Yeah. No, it's in the Vision Pro, uh, the teaser trailer for it. I mean, there's a scene just like that where the man's watching his iCloud uh, videos and photos and yeah. you know, sitting on the couch doing the gesture control and everything. I mean, that that reminded me of that scene from Minority Report. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're there, 100%. And, and the thing is, that's that's the, like Robert was saying before, that's the training wheels, one 1% version of where it winds up going. Because if they jump to the real big version of this, even though they could do it, it would be, I think, so hard for most people to digest that it would almost be repulsed by it because it is a lot to take in at a very small pace. All of us here have experience with moving on the wave of technology, but we we it's easy to forget what the average person is dealing with with yeah. the information overload. They don't they don't have the skill set, yes, necessarily yet to say how does this fit into my life why do i need this and 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 they unfortunately are hearing the dystopian aspect of it mostly it, it'll from, take from time media. i mean you know we hear it with all these new texts right this yeah. Oh, yeah. But this feels different this feels sort of fundamentally different as computers get closer to your brain the resistance level goes up i, I study resistance to paradigm shifts right and have for 40 years and the resistance to this field of technologies is extraordinarily high because it's so freaky and it's close to you, right? It's very intimate and you're wearing it. And there, so there's a lot of resistance just to that. I don't want to put it on. I don't want to wear glasses. A lot of people tell me I don't want to wear a, a thing on my face that's not attractive to me. Um, once they do it at an Apple store, they're going to change their mind. We know this, but that's the resistance up ahead of this. And, and it's real interesting to study this resistance. Yeah. No, I, I, Brian's studying the resistance to AI, right? And we, yeah. we're going through a revolution in AI as well at the same time this device is getting shown to people, right? Yeah. yeah, you know, and a at lot some of point, negativity with the metaverse. Know, and, that's for sure. And, and at some at some point, we're not going to distinguish the differences between any of these technologies, because essentially we're at a vanishing point where is everything is basically AI, right? I mean, whatever that means, uh, yeah. the images, the 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 text, the audio, the video, everything will be coming out of that particular paradigm, and that's. That's changing and transforming society at such a rapid pace that even the people that are riding the wave are like looking around saying, what's happening? Like, I mean, I'm dealing with AI models that are coming out about every 12 or 15 minutes. So every 12 or 15 minutes, I get a ding and somebody has created another local AI model. Uh, and sometimes it's a derivative of the base of llama model. Sometimes it's something else, but the, and, but it's always getting more powerful. Robert, how quickly is this going to kick off a whole new suite of spatial computing startups? I mean, you know, we like we instantly, them, but I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm talking about like when we look at the e-commerce boom or the app boom or the fintech boom, you know, you're talking about a specific generation of startups that have, have got funding around that, like we're seeing with AI right now. Instantly. And there's already a bunch of them that have been created that will accelerate because of uh, Apple's moves, right? They're going to get more funding because the investors have been telling me they're not funding anything until Apple comes, 
And now that Apple's comes, we know what Apple's uh, direction is. And okay, they're going to bring glasses, let's say in two to four years. That's the main event. This is just to prepare the developers and prepare the users, get people to go to the Apple store, put it on for 10 minutes. Like Brian got his demo. Everybody's going to have the same demo to see, oh, a new experiential age is here. A new kind of TV is here. Right. The lines around the block. I'm predicting this already. Yeah. It's a sellout. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's sellout. I'm you remember the old days of camping out for the iPhone? People It'll are going to be camping out to do a demo. It'll be worse. The lines around the block. Wow. They're redesigning Apple stores, by the way. You heard it here uh, first on the yeah. futurists. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> in, in fact, this is inside information. They're going to redesign Apple stores in a profoundly different way. Uh, oh, really? Half, yes. Over half the store. Over half the store is wow. going to be dedicated to this. everything in the store is going to have a grid pattern on it, so the cameras can really <laughs> know where the hell you are. <laughs> but the, the demos, the demos are going to be uh, there's what I call demo pods. They're going to be areas where Apple employees are right. going to have uh, people coming in just to demo these things. It's going to be uh, exhibitional kind of demonstration. So right. people in the store right. can see that people are trying these things on. Uh, so the, the plan is to take over half the store. Uh, over half the employees will be working on that side of the store. Lines wow. are probably going to be forming for at least the next, after it's available, at least three months. You're going to have to yeah. take reservations. They're going to want a little bit of a line out there. They're going to have the little uh, red carpet thing going on. Um, you know, the whole the whole thing. So we've not even seen the tip of the iceberg and there are people going to get crazy about it. Yeah. But here's the thing. At some point, when do we throw away our, our other devices? And Robert and I used to right. talk about this. When do we throw away? 2027. Right? So I say 2027. It's five for, years. Uh, for us, though, right? When, okay. So 2029 for everybody yeah. else. So in, in reality, I really think Robert's on the money. We're probably going to abandon most of our devices, ultimately our phone. There'll be a, 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 a thinner version, a glasses version, like Robert said, that is essentially going to be every your everything device. Uh, you won't really have Right, because you won't have screens. a laptop because you can have the screen and keyboard yeah. and control device in this. You yeah. still will have your phone in your pocket, though, and that's real key. Uh, you, you may not. You but, may not. I, well, I'm the sorry. first device, you're going to need the phone. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the first glasses. By 2030, the phone doesn't need it anymore. Right. right? The, the computers then are small enough to put on the rim of the glasses, but... Uh, for a bit, uh, having the phone is a and we need some we need some improvement in battery tech, maybe carbon nanotubes. It's battery, but it's also reactor. <laughs> it's also to create this beautiful visuality in front of you. You need a lot of GPUs, and you need to run them really hot. And putting those on a, on the edge of the glasses is really really difficult. Yeah. I mean, Rick Zuckerberg is trying to do the same idea. He's spending tens of billions of dollars in the custom silicon because he doesn't have the phone. He has to put everything on right. the, the glasses to make it work, and he's putting all the GPUs up on the cloud, which tells you a huge difference between the philosophy of these two companies. Apple wants to put the AI inferencing close to your eyes. Uh, i.e. on your head or certainly in your house on a new kind of mesh network. That's why I keep bringing up ultra-wideband because it's really yeah. 
infrastructure. Well, so a combination of ultra wideband and and five G, you know, super low latency, you know, five G, six G tech. You're not understanding what I'm saying. Where yeah. the AI inferencing is being done is hugely important for privacy. Mark Zuckerberg is going to do all that AI right. inferencing up in the cloud on an NVIDIA bank of computers up in the cloud. Apple's not. Apple's going to do it on the head or in the house on this ultra wideband network, and the, the uh, inferencing is I not going to go to the cloud. This so is you could have your home important. unit or your car unit that syncs with, but yeah. This is hugely important because when I was playing VR in a Quest, you, that that device has four cameras on it as well. My wife walks into the room naked. Where's the inferencing <laughs> being done? Is it being done on the cloud? In other words, does all that data go up to Mark Zuckerberg and the inferencing is done on the cloud? That's a huge privacy problem. Apple doesn't believe that way. They're keeping the eye sensor data in the headset. They're not letting it go even to the house. Right. They're doing that for privacy and only Apple can deliver a private uh, experience like this. And, and, and Robert makes such a great point is is not only that, but I mean, everything that's going on around you that you can't even possibly predict. Uh, obviously, that's the most overt thing. Uh, it, it needs to be local. There's no other question about it. There is no other company in a better position to make this uh, as as their dedicated path. So literally, like Robert has been saying for a long time, Apple's got a runway that is miles wide and miles long. And if anybody does catch and they up, they got a hell of a budget. Well, well the budget, it, it, they're also so freaking disciplined. I mean, I have an M, I'm talking to you on an M1 computer. 21% of that chip is neural. It's not being used. It's sitting cold right yeah. now on my computer. And it was sold to me two years ago. In other words, Apple has a lot of, of, of AI power that's in the house already. That's connected yeah, it's interesting to didn't the ultra wide in the show, the, in the developers' uh, conference, they didn't use the term AI. They, they use machine, machine learning. learning. Yeah, they, they won't learning. use AI. And and and, and that's, why is that, Brian? Um, that's a philosophical direction. It's the same reason why we're not seeing them use large language models, right? Uh, and 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 a GPT interface. What we saw was spelling correction. And you know, I'm I'm dismayed by some of Apple's choices. Uh, a lot of it was, I think, boneheaded. Uh, even though they do make uh, good decisions and they are disciplined, they also make some really bad decisions. Siri was the worst decision they ever made by not by ignoring it and by not improving it by leaps and bounds. But here's the problem: Is that going to change? I hope so. The problem is large language models produce outputs that are not necessarily Apple-like. As much are you? They have errors. Yes. Right. And not only errors, hallucinations and embarrassment, even if you're using something like constitutional AI, which is in theory uh, saying better things, Apple is still weary of wanting that out in a free world, uh, whereas the rest of us are like hot rodders in the garage saying, hey, let's just get yeah. the AI. So they don't like using those terminologies. Apple's always been opposed to that. They like to create their own terminologies. Machine learning is kind of generic. We're going to see a new terminology coming up from apple in the next uh probably next couple of months probably before the end of the year which will essentially be ai without the machine learning attribute uh and robert is right on the money the the neural unit inside of these chips especially the one that is the, you know the the many that are inside uh vision pro 
are mostly underutilized, even in that device, even in that device. So there is a massive runway. And if I was in the competitive position of, uh, against Apple, I would be rushing to be doing my own silicone as fast as possible and to try to understand. But again, who's got the, I mean, there's, there's very few companies in the world that have the budget to, to do this, but let me, let me just, I'm conscious of the time guys. I want to wrap up. Let me just ask you, I mean, we could just go on for hours obviously, but um, (laughs) let me just, yeah, exactly. Part, we have to. We have to, for yeah, sure. Part two. Um, let me just ask you this one question so we can wrap. Um, uh, Brian, you go first, and then, Robert, you can close us out. Is um, This is the developer version. So let's say in a year or so's time when they do release, or maybe it's two years' time, they do release a consumer edition. How do you think it will be different? My feeling is that a year from now we'll see the the – high-end consumer version that Apple really wanted to put out there. This is not rushed to market, but it's not the fully contained Apple device that we we would ultimately want to see from the company. And it's only because there's a convergence of so many technologies that are taking off at once that they have to sort of piece it together. It is magical how they were able to catch all these technologies with a with a net and assemble them into a profoundly important it's, it's device. It's a decade or more of of meticulous planning and and a lot of editing, a lot mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that was in there. Uh, I mean, we saw so many versions from our insiders that were edited out. Now, somebody might say Robert was wrong. I was wrong about a couple of things. No, those versions were up. They were running. The people yeah. dedicated five years of their life. Boom! It got cut out because it did not make the final grade. There was a lot of that going on, and when we see the next iteration, which essentially be a year from now, and I'm not saying it's a model uh, change so much as how the software interacts, because right. we're seeing literally beta software, and I'm not saying it's buggy. I'm not saying it's uh, not adequate. We I'm don't saying, know everything that this can do yet from a software Absolutely. Oh, right. So next We're year, going to be we'll discovering things for years. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, this is uh, – uh, we're just beginning. And developers I've talked but to – That's the point of this, right? That is the point of this product release is that it is the start of something new. Yeah. It's and the start of a new paradigm in computing. The developers I've talked to uh, that have just experienced some of the possibilities of building on this – their creativity is just beginning to be touched upon. And Apple is being blown away with some of the ideas that have already come up that were definitely not inside the company, but definitely in the minds of creative people. So we are just beginning. And I can't predict what some of these guys are going to produce. And I'm sure nobody can, but... uh, Well, I think it's interesting that they, you know, this is the first time they've relied on people like Disney and Unity for... Part, parts of their ecosystem in, in, in this way. You know, you had New York Times and others that, you know, released apps on the App Store to, to celebrate, but not partners in developing, you know, the platform and the ecosystem. I think that's that's different. Robert, and, what, what do you think and about that? the fact that, that, that they that had no pictures, n- no pictures leaked of the device or of the right. user interface it's with amazing. all of these partners is real impressive. That shows... There's only one company that has an NDA like Apple. Yeah. And we didn't we didn't know the name of it until like 
Well, I bet the name changed like in the last couple of weeks. It did. Because <laughs> right. it was so, called there's a different name in some of the docs. And, yeah. Some of the docs have a different name for the product. And, and, and they didn't remove all the names for the doc in the docs that, that are up on the developer accounts, you know. So, Robert, just to finish it, finish off, what what do you think the uh, consumer version is going to be like in terms of differences? Um, lighter, um, less heat generation. There, there, there still is some problems with heat uh, if you really light up this device and try to do some advanced stuff. Many more consumer oriented experiences will be shipped around that time. Now, you said a year, Brian. You said a year from now. Is yeah. that a year from now? Like like next yeah. June? Yeah, next June. Next okay, June. Okay, this see device. It. All right. So hear hear me out. This device comes. Let's say this device comes out March thirty first, right? Mm-hmm. Or April thirty April sometime in April. Yeah, they just said early next year. That's all I've said. Yeah, yeah, yeah early twenty twenty. April is pushing early next yeah. year. <laughs> it's like that's not quite early anymore. You know, it's like so if it's May, it's too late. You can't call that early anymore. <laughs> so it has to be before April, and um, or April and before. And when they do, um, then they're you're predicting they're going to have another device like in June. So the yeah. first users are going to buy this device and then another device well, is going it, to come it, out it, like it's going to be an iteration uh, an iteration of the yeah. device uh you I I'm predicting by let's call it summer of next year uh we'll have two devices from Apple in the marketplace mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not saying either one of them are going to be markedly different from each other yeah. uh there're going to be some feature capabilities that may be enhanced or reduced how there that plays out. 2,999 so, instead of There three. might be a little bit less resolution on the chips that they're putting in the consumer version, right? Actually, I think it's the other way around. Oh, you think they're going to even step it up? Huh? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think what we'll see by mid, uh, mid-year is a higher-end version, and this is becomes a lower-end version, and we'll start seeing price drops perhaps uh, for the entry level or the, the version we see now by holiday next year. And mm. uh, a- a- Apple, let, let's put, let's look at it this way. Uh, there's a lot of Apple premium that is baked into this initial price. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the, at the breakdown of parts on this particular uh, system, it's not that expensive. It is, even even in his wildest dreams, we're still below nine hundred dollars in uh in, in parts. If we cost. yeah, if, if we if we factor in Apple's um if we amortize Apple's cost of building their own chipsets, right? Because you, you have to kind of figure what does that really mean. But from the manufacturing standpoint of just building those chips and putting it together. It's it's a thousand dollar cost device, if not a little less. I got to break one apart. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, it's not me that does it, but somebody does it, and we start really looking at what's inside. But it, it is an incredibly exquisitely engineered device. That does uh, that it I blend? No, <laughs> does I'm it blend? Kidding. Oh no, please <laughs> don't do that. All right. Well, listen, uh, we we really do have to wrap, um, but. As always, you guys didn't disappoint. It's fantastic to have have the uh, the band back together. We will see you guys again next week. Um, in fact, um, I can say it as we do every week that we will see you in the future. in the future.
That's it for another week of the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. This episode was produced by our US-based production team, including producer Lisbeth Severins, audio engineer Kevin Hersham, with social media support from Carlo Navarra and Sylvie Johnson. If you like this episode, don't forget to tweet it out or post it on your favorite social media. We'll leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever it is that you listen to our show. Those actions help other people find our podcast, and in return, that helps us build an audience that can be supported by sponsorship so we can continue to provide you with our award-winning content every week. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you on Breaking Banks next week.